Hey, hey, this is Yarrow, and welcome to, well, episode zero of the Vested Capital podcast. I'm also recording this on video using the Riverside.fm, a new podcast recording platform for both video and audio uh, podcasts. It's a bit of a trial run for me. And it's also something very exciting for me because this is the start of a brand new uh, reboot or a rebranding of my podcast. If you are a long-term follower of the Yarrow podcast or before that, the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast, which was started all the way back in 2005, then you'll know my work and this won't be that different to what you're used to from me. This is still very much an interview podcast. It's very much about startups and business and entrepreneurship. But I'm expanding a little bit to look at all aspects of basically vesting your capital, so growing your capital. And that includes making money, like generating cash flow businesses, but then how to turn that money into capital that both gives you opportunities to make other investments and also grows, whether you're working on it and not working on it. So we're going to talk to experts and just have general conversations about what you'd expect from startups, entrepreneurship, uh, venture capital, angel investing, as well as maybe other forms of investing that people are very much used to, like investing in stocks, buying real estate, maybe more modern versions like cryptocurrency. Everything that I'm interested in, we're certainly going to be talking about, and I'm looking forward to speaking to some amazing guests over the coming months and years. I'm also rededicating myself to uh, being consistent. Obviously, this show is... The Well, I can't prove this, but I'm pretty sure it's the longest running entrepreneurship podcast. Um, definitely one of the earliest podcasts if you count my start all the way back in 2005. I have removed some of the old episodes though because frankly they're not very good and I don't really want to have them in the, the feed for this show. So you won't be able to go back that far. I think you can go back to 2007 for the earliest episode currently on this podcast feed. But... Going forward, this is going to be called Vested Capital, and we're going to do it on YouTube, we're going to do it on the podcast, and we have some great guests coming up that I, I'm really excited to uh, share with you. For today, though, I wanted to do an introduction to myself, uh, what allows me to have some sense of knowledge and, and uh, experience to talk about these topics, uh, basically what I've been doing for the past 20 years in the world of capital and and basically me, what I've been doing to grow my own capital. So uh, it's a topic that I think everyone's interested in. We all want to know how to make money. Um, but one thing I think that I really want to highlight as we kind of start, start this deep dive into my own history is the power of capital. Uh, I know when I first got started early on, I had no capital, as uh, most people in this world are who are not born into a rich family, who do not inherit something or have something handed to them. You got a zero bank balance unless maybe your parents or your grandparents give you you know a few thousand dollars here and there. Uh, my for me that's about it. I had an allowance and I had you know birthday money, but pretty much every penny I made going forward was uh, by myself. And it's hard because without capital, it's difficult to make capital. Without money, you can't invest that money. Without money, you can't buy something, buy a business. So you have to start from scratch. And then over the years, as you kind of see through my own story, which I'm going to share in the moment for, for those of you who are new to Yarrow and who I am, I really learned the power of being able to take capital and also cash flow, two very linked things, and turn that into uh, more capital and more cash flow which I think is what I really find fascinating, what I get excited about, because, hey, you only have so many hours in a day. You know, you can't really spend uh, all your energy on 20 different ways of making money personally because it's just not possible. So you have to find ways to leverage. One of my favorite words, you're going to hear me use this a lot on this show, and if you dive back into my past episodes, 
Leverage is something I get very excited about because it allows you to get more from less. It allows you to tap into resources that will do work for you. Uh, I think there's leverage available in all kinds of different business models, all kinds of different ways to invest and grow your capital. So we'll definitely hear more about that. And I personally have experienced several forms of leverage, which you're going to hear about in a moment as I share my story. So um, capital is the theme. Making money is obviously the start of capital. So I want to take you back in time to the late 1990s when I was about 18 years old. And that was the first time where I was kind of out on my own, I guess. I was you know, in university. I was very, very motivated to make money. It was not very motivated to uh, go to university and study, but you know, everyone else was doing it. Uh, I, I will stop for a second here just in case because there might be some of you listening to this who are long-term Yarrow followers. And you've probably heard these stories before because I have certainly written about them on my blog. I've shared them various times on my podcast. I've done a, a life story kind of podcast, maybe, I don't know, 15, well, I mean, maybe 10 years ago, I think back then. Obviously, more has happened since then, but some of this will be a repeat, but I hope you'll still stick with it. For those of you who are new, this is a great way for me to introduce you to myself and obviously what I've done in terms of my own capital. So, uh, Continuing that story, I was uh, in Brisbane, Australia. I'd entered the University of Queensland to study bu a business management degree with no really intentions beyond just having something to do going forward uh, with my life. Now, in a case of very fortuitous timing, as I was 18, it was 1998, and that was the start of what you'd call the dot-com boom or maybe even you know the middle part of it. And there were internet companies all over the place. It was a crazy time with crazy valuations. Uh, if you live through that experience, it's crazy to think some of you listening to this might not have been around when that happened, but that was when I was just getting started and it was really, really influential on my own thoughts and ideas and motivation as an entrepreneur. That is the one thing I was certain about. I needed to be an entrepreneur because I needed to make money. I needed capital. I needed to have cash so I didn't have to get a job. So I didn't have to do all the normal things that it seemed like everyone else around me were doing. And bearing in mind, this is also a time in history when we didn't have examples like we do online today. You couldn't just open up YouTube and hear about so many people teaching or telling their stories of how to make money, how to start a business. We didn't have podcasts. We didn't have social media. We basically had websites, basic static websites. So there wasn't a lot and there weren't a lot of uh, kind of role models and mentors to follow. There were a few. Uh, Richard Branson, I read his Richard Branson. I read his book back then and that was certainly influential. I did read some other books uh, that were about entrepreneurs, about companies. So that was having a big impact, big impact on me. And I was reading about making money too. Some of the classics like The Richest Man in Babylon, Think and Grow Rich, uh, One Minute Millionaire. These certainly were getting my juices flowing, but I was most excited about these entrepreneur biographies, hearing about how eBay got started, hearing about stories from like Amazon, really the, the early tech companies at the time that were becoming the big superstars. And of course, those two are still around today. So for me, I decided to get into uh, building a website as my first kind of ex exploring uh, possibility of an online business not really expecting it to become much. To be honest, it was more of a hobby because it focused on my hobby. At the time when I was in university and also in high school, I was one of those kids who played a card game called Magic the Gathering, which I'm happy to say is still booming today. It is a massive game now. It's got a, a, a digital online version, but back when I played, it was nothing but the cardboard. Um, if you've never heard of Magic the Gathering, look it up online. It's kind of like a strategic card game. I like to look at it sort of like 
maybe a poker, but certainly way more complex, way more cards with a nice dose of fantasy uh, and beautiful card design, beautiful artwork. You've got your dragons, your elves, the traditional fantasy elements. And I love the game. It's certainly for about five years of my life, from about, 2000, uh, from about 16 years old to about 2021. 20, I played competitively. I traveled a bit around the world as a, a professional Magic the Gathering uh, player. I even represented my country in Australia. I was on the national team. I came in the top four in the national championship, championships in, gosh, I can't remember now. I think it was 99. Anyway, that got me a trip to the States to represent my country. And it was a, a really fun game, and I still have fond memories of it. And nowadays, the cards, speaking of the topic of capital, are a form of investment. So if I had kept a lot of my cards from back in those days, I ended up selling my collection, I'd actually have a form of investment now, because some of the cards, especially things like the Power 9, um, the, the early cards in Beta Unlimited, I'm talking Magic the Gathering, so this probably won't mean anything to most of you, but some of those cards now are worth as much as even, I think they're pushing for the number one valued card being a, a Black Lotus. I think it's pushing half a million now. I, I know there were some sales, certainly in the multiple six figures. So it's, it's kind of like baseball cards, basketball cards. There's those really big cards that have a lot of value. In my case, though, I decided to start a website back then, and it was a place to uh, talk about the game itself, to write tournament reports, which are kind of like reporting back on how you went in a Magic the Gathering tournament. Um, I got guest writers in. There were news groups back then. They were kind of like the early online bulletin boards. And I was involved in this community. Uh, I started this website mostly for the Australian marketplace to begin with. Eventually, I made it a global brand. And it became serious when I registered the domain name mtgparadise.com which was uh, the first time I really had a, a proper domain name as well with a, a global brand. Uh, at that point, I expanded to include a forum where people were trading cards. I even rolled out an e-commerce store where I was uh, buying cards at wholesale, selling from my own collection. And the end result of that e-commerce store, as well as, as, well as from some advertising income, um, was, I guess you could say, my first real online business, although I really see it more as a side hustle type of thing because it wasn't a lot of money. It was $1,000 a month at most, but an amazing early experience in things like how to get traffic to your website, how to build a community, how to even just design a website, install scripts like forum software and things like that. So this website is responsible for, if we're talking about capital, you know, getting me from zero to kind of like 10000 dollars in my bank uh, of savings, which was pretty huge for me at the time for sure. Fast forward a couple of years, still have my card game website, but I started a second business called betteredit.com. It was an essay and thesis editing company. I was not the editor though. I was hiring freelance contractors. Um, back then, this was before we had Upwork or any of those kind of uh, mass market freelance sites, Fiverr and so on. But there was a site that uh, you could tap into for things like language translation, editing services. In our case, though, for my company, it wasn't too hard to find contractors because they were just coming to us. It was a case of supply and demand. And we had much more supply than we had demand. So there was always a pool of potential candidates. Um, my main job with that business, I set up the website. I went to university campuses in Australia and also Canada when I traveled to visit family there. I put up posters. I did Google search engine optimization during the first few years of Google becoming a dominant force then. 
And it grew and became what I call my first real business because it was a full-time income for me. It was also the business I focused on 100% for the first time in my life. And that's an important point. Before that, you know, my card game business was a side hustle while I was at university and doing other things. Once I graduated, I didn't look for a job. I kept a couple of casual part-time jobs I had at the university, maybe 20 hours a week working at the library, doing a bit of web design for the business school. But most of my time was growing this essay and thesis editing company. And during its prime, I had it for about five, six years. It was making about 100000 a year. Um, so it was a salary for me. Not a big salary after you take out all the costs of running the business, paying the contractors. But it was a great lifestyle business. And it was my first taste of, I guess, freedom because it was very easy to run. It was completely digital so I could travel with it. Uh, it was completely... I guess, driven by other people's skill set. So I didn't have to be the one delivering the value. I was the connecting person there. And it, it was a great experience as well. It was a lot of effort in search engine optimization. So learned about link building and keywords, uh, content marketing, that sort of thing. That was my early step into that world. Uh, I did eventually sell that business. And I did also eventually sell my card game business. The card game business was sold first. I got about 13,500, if I remember right, for that company and I or website, basically. I sold it to another uh, card trader that was in the community of the forums I had there. And the essay editing company, betteredit.com, I eventually sold to a person who actually applied to become an editor, um, selling that one for over, I think it was about 100,000 US. So, you know, not life-changing forever moments, but big money. My first ever big hit of capital was actually selling better at it. Seeing that $100,000 drop into my bank account was massive and it allowed me to then take, I guess, the next step in growing my capital to buy my first property and also to buy something that's not a great asset. I bought a brand new car. Uh, don't really recommend doing that unless you, you know, you love cars or you really need one. But I was willing to reward myself after lots of like about seven years of hard work and bought myself a car as well. Uh, and, and that was, I guess, the very, very early days. So by this point, I'm like 25 years old, 26 years old. And I actually got into blogging um, prior to selling the essay editing company. It was a couple of years before I sold it. Uh, a friend of mine told me about blogging and podcasting. So it's kind of like we're connecting the dots here. The dawn of my podcast hit because of that essay editing company because someone told me about blogging, which then led me to research podcasting as well. So it's all connected. Uh, super early days. Uh, blogs were the first form of social media back then, sort of like 2004, 2005. And podcasting was so new, I called it audio blogging, in fact, not podcasting. So um, I just got my, I had an iRiver, which was a competitor to the iPod, and it had a little microphone on it. I sat and uh, recorded my first ever episode, kind of like this, but it only lasted for 15 minutes. And I was rambling off the top of my head about kind of marketing topics. And I published that on my blog and it then got listed uh, through an RSS feed as we still do today and became the very first version of the Entrepreneur's Journey podcast. The same name of my blog when it first started as well, Entrepreneur's Journey. Now, I did not see this coming, but that blog took me to some amazing places and some amazing experiences and some huge money. That was actually the business that eventually became my first source of seven figures, so over a million dollars in sales. I will tell that story in a moment, uh, but I want to explain a little bit about the early days because it was very much the early days. This was when you could write a blog post and Google would just send you traffic automatically, which is not so easy today. Um, but I got into it. I loved writing about starting a business, sharing stories from running my card game business, from running my editing company. I had lots of content to share. 
Um, wasn't a great writer to start with, but practice. You know, you write, start writing a blog post every single day, and suddenly you're you're doing great. Um, an audience started to grow too. So Google was sending me traffic. I was connecting with other bloggers. Um, there was a few other people who were rising up with me at the time, like Darren Rouse from ProBlogger and Brian Clark from CopyBlogger. Um, so I connected with those guys and lots of other people. And uh, I also started a newsletter, which was huge. Can't really emphasize the importance of that enough. Uh, having an email newsletter all the way back in 2006 when that started really was the key to becoming, uh, well, basically growing a business out of that that became a seven-figure business. So through the power of podcasting, an entrepreneurship blog, and an email newsletter on these topics, I became what today you'd call an influencer. It certainly wasn't what I'd call myself back then. I had no intention of becoming one. I did not see that as uh, a possibility to make a living like we do today. You know, people people grow up now thinking, I want to be a YouTube influencer or an Instagram influencer or a TikToker or something like that. Um, I'm an introvert. I certainly had no intentions of any kind of fame. Um, the fact that people were reading what I was writing and listening to my voice was already kind of uh, exciting but confronting at the same time. Uh, I certainly grew to like it and enjoy it. And I love, love and still love meeting people whenever I go to an event or even just digitally online and they tell me that they read my blog or they listened to my show back in the day or even you know in the recent years so that I get a real kick out of. Uh, and it was a life-changing moment because it set me down a path to everything that I've done since then. Uh, and in terms of capital, wow, I can't really say enough about the potential and power of content marketing and selling digital products online, which is what I did next. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna basically, uh, shorten a long story because my blogging career in some ways is still going so it's like a 15 year journey but there were about 10 years of very concentrated time spent on this business to grow my blog and my podcast into a, a true digital teaching business so when I say that at first it started with a, a membership site which got turned into an online course which was called blog mastermind which I sold to my audience who followed me on my blog my email newsletter and my podcast. Um, that took me from making, I think I was making three to $4,000 a month from advertising on my blog and affiliate marketing, selling other people's products for a commission. But then I launched this first course called Blog Mastermind and suddenly I'm making 10 to $15,000 a month and the rest is more of the same. So from that point forward, I released another course and then another course with a good friend of mine named Gideon Shalwick. We created, I think, possibly the first ever video course about how to make money blogging called becomeablogger.com. Uh, we ended up selling a million dollars worth of that course. And over the about five years, from 2007 to 2012, I just focused 100% on these courses, my blog, my podcast, my email newsletter. And that's how I grew my capital from that sort of $100,000 sale of the Better Edit business to making a million dollars in revenue and a very good healthy profit margin. One thing I really love about digital teaching product businesses, they're very lean, small team. It was me, my web designer, uh, my customer service email management person, uh, a few other people here and there as I needed them, copywriters, uh, web development, that sort of thing. But really very small teams of contractors. So the profit margins were like 70, 80%. Maybe some money went to advertising and that sort of thing. So I was pocketing um, several hundred thousand a year after taxes into my bank account, growing my capital. And I was actually buying more property in Brisbane, Australia, where I was born and raised. So I went from the first property and I, grew, I bought a, a half a million dollar bachelor pad, as I like to call it. 
in my late 20s. Love that place in Brisbane. Amazing views, great veranda right near the heart of the city. Had some great memories there. So my asset base, my vested capital was really starting to grow during this sort of uh, five years from 2005 to 2012, maybe seven years. It really is 2007 to 2012. And uh, it was a great time. Um, and it was just an amazing time online as well. As a, a person who was selling digital products, it wasn't as crowded and noisy as it is today. It felt like it was crowded and noisy to me at the time, but it was so much smaller than it is today. Now everyone sells a course or has an ebook or something like that. So I actually went through two phases. I'm, I'm not going to tell the second story. Uh, basically, I rebooted that business again, creating new versions of my training. I wrote three books. Uh, I launched a brand new membership site called the Laptop Lifestyle Academy. Shout out to everyone who's still in there. And uh, I, I made another million dollars in sales of my products and services, some of which I'm still actually running right now. I still teach or coach for Blog Mastermind 2.0, although it is not the main business I focus on right now. It is still definitely a part of my life. And I love coaching and teaching and writing and podcasting as you're hearing me now here for this uh, episode zero of Vested Capital. So that kind of connects the dots for very much what I would call almost like the first half and I would call that me becoming an adult. And certainly my capital grew the most it ever did in my life. It was uh, an amazing experience. And it very much though was based on my own work and effort. So it was me creating a whole lot of content, growing three different uh, businesses and a great journey. Um, certainly gave me the foundation for what's come in the last sort of five, six, seven years. So. Uh, I just want to kind of cover a few more stories to bring it up to date. I don't want this episode zero to be too long. Obviously, we have lots coming up for you uh, with this show. But I do want to finish my story because from the kind of 2015 onwards, things started to get much more diversified and certainly not relying on my own effort nearly as much. But first of all, I have to tell you about something that you call a failure because, hey, they do happen. And, I, you know, I, I was always trying new things as well. So around about 2011, 2012, I launched a startup. I, I really call this a startup because I had two co-founders. Shout out to Walter and Mick. The company was called Cranky Ads. It was meant to be or was a uh, an ad platform to connect bloggers with advertisers. So my vision for it was a Facebook style community where bloggers would sign up, advertisers would sign up and they'd find each other. They'd be able to kind of search the social graph of blogging, of content sites and advertisers to connect and do deals to make, you know, ad purchases so the bloggers could make money, the advertisers could reach new audiences. Uh, unfortunately, I really learned for the first time how hard it is to develop software. The engineering side is a challenge. Walter was my engineer co-founder and it was just slow going walter was working a lot of hours and at the end of the day we ended up closing down that business after about two years of working on it i wouldn't say it was full-time we were kind of part-time working on it uh the biggest lesson there was simply the difficulty of engineering I, we did you know have some users because i was able to tap into my own audience learned a lot about the startup world we almost decided to take on venture capital. We did a number of pitches in front of angels and some venture capital uh, op options, but we turned down uh, going down that route because we didn't want the responsibility to investors if we were not sure where the company was going. So at the end of the day, after two years, we decided to close that one down. Um, great experience, again, lots of learning and really my first exposure to this uh, venture capital world from the side of being a founder. 
which was, uh, you know, not that big a deal in the sense that Australia and venture capital is, is not a huge world for that getting better. But obviously everything was happening mostly in the United States, in particular, San Francisco at that time. So um, putting cranky ads aside, close that one down. I was still doing the blogging and podcasting. I actually decided to leave Australia around 2015 as well and go to none other than San Francisco. So I decided I wanted to um, explore more of the world, but also I wanted to live in a place where I thought I could meet more entrepreneurial minded people, people who wanted to do non-traditional, you know, get a job, have a career lifestyle, which was still very much the most common way of living your life where I was from in Brisbane, Australia. And I just wanted to meet more people doing amazing, exciting things in the world of business. So I packed my bags, headed up to San Francisco, got myself uh, a, a little condo apartment in the Marina district of San Francisco, which is a lovely place to live. Did a lot of walking around, met a lot of people, but mostly I was there thinking and planning. I'm still growing my, my I guess, the second version of that teaching business I had, uh, but most of it was kind of like settling in. What do I want to do? Where do I want to live? Do I want to stay here? Do I want to keep traveling? Um, I ended up deciding to continue to travel. I actually went to Vancouver and spent some time there. Uh, I did a bit more traveling around Europe eventually as well, as you'll see as the story continues. Um, let me try and connect the dots here. So after deciding to leave San Francisco, which to be fair, I, I only decided to leave because as great as it was, I didn't feel it was uh, good enough that I had to stay there and pay the premium because at the end of the day, it was very expensive. I, was, I had a little bachelor pad. I was paying almost 3,000 US a month to live there. Um, moving to Vancouver, my costs cut in half and Vancouver is an expensive city. So, you know, uh, San Francisco is very expensive, um, but I wanted to continue traveling. So I ended up traveling over to uh, Toronto where I have family. Um, and then I went over to Europe and began a bit of a, a European adventure, which uh, I won't dive into how it all connected, but I found myself in Ukraine for the very first time, which is actually where my father's side of the family is from. If you're ever wondering where the Yarrow Starak, that's my name, comes from, it's my dad's side of the family. And that was the first time where I actually ever met some other Yarrows when I went to Ukraine. There's a few of them there, or Yaroslav, the more common uh, version of it. So I'm in Ukraine and one of the people I meet there is uh, a gentleman named Andriy who works in the local government. He's young, about 25 years old, and really he's clearly an entrepreneur, wants to get into the, you know, having his own business, having his own control over his capital, his income, his growth, his money. Um, but he's in the government and he's rising fast there too. So he's clearly a smart guy. We start talking. I actually found myself in a unique situation where I didn't know what to do in terms of where I would go next, whether I would, um, you know, go back to Canada, settle down. In my mind, I had kind of plans for heading to uh, Montreal and getting into property, which will play a part in my story coming up. Um, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to do that. So I actually ended up being um, kind of persuaded by Andre. We were there. I remember this conversation very carefully. Uh, clearly, we were in a cafe in Lviv in Ukraine, a uh, great city. If you get a chance to get to Lviv, go there. Amazing vibe, um, good tech scene, amazing food, culture, uh, architecture, uh, more coffee shops in one city per capita than any other city in Europe, I believe. So if you love coffee, great place to go. And I, I was there for a few months just being a digital nomad, you know, living there, very affordable. Comparing San Francisco to Lviv, oh my gosh, it's probably 10% the cost of living in San Francisco. So I'm there with Andre. we're sitting down and he's um, telling me about an opportunity that's come up to 
take part in a green energy initiative that the Ukrainian uh, government was pushing forward to essentially pay a tariff, which means they pay a higher rate or a guaranteed rate of return when they buy the electricity. So the government buys electricity generated from wind farms, from solar energy, and so on. So we had an opportunity, thanks to Andre's connections in the government, to set up a solar farm if we could find the funding. Now, in a case of uh, another way I grew some capital, this was actually around 2017, which if you're a follower of cryptocurrency was the, I guess, the first ever public boom in crypto. And I'm recording this now in, I would call, phase two. Obviously, crypto started with Bitcoin in, in sort of late 2000s, 2012, but um, you know, 2017 is when it went mainstream. It was being talked about on the mainstream news and people were pouring money into it, including myself. So uh, I was lucky in some ways. I made a connection in Toronto in 2016 uh, with a gentleman who was in the, the crypto space and introduced me to this other crypto called Ethereum. I thought I'd missed the train on Bitcoin because it was already worth $2,000. You can laugh at that now as we talk about it being worth fifty dollars to $60,000 as I record this. Um, but I thought I'd missed the train on Bitcoin. But this new uh, cryptocurrency, Ethereum, which was even uh, potentially better because it had this power called smart contracts. So it was kind of like developing software on the blockchain. I won't talk about that right now, maybe in a future episode. But it was um, just getting started and it's, it was like $8. Uh, that's how much the Ether, the Ethereum uh, crypto token was trading at at the time. So I thought, hmm, maybe this is a chance to get into something a little bit closer to the ground floor. Uh, I started using a platform called eToro to trade. It's really big in Europe, is starting to enter the States as well as I record this. And the only downside with eToro is it was hard to get a lot of money in there once. I had to kind of drop in $10,000 chunks at a time using PayPal or whatever method I could um, and slowly uh, get money into the platform. And it was actually funny because I'd get $10,000 into the platform. I'd buy Ethereum at maybe a $15 price. I'd be trying to get my next deposit into the platform, waiting for it to clear. Ethereum would jump to $30. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, if I could just get my money in here, I'd be doubling it you know, every week or so. Uh, and you know, to cut a long story short, it, it was a crazy year if you were involved with crypto in 2017. Uh, fun, fun ride. I'd have some, some periods where I'd make $100,000 in a, a week. I'd lose $50,000 the next week. It was all on paper, of course. I wasn't you know, buying and selling too much. It was just sitting there in my account. Um, to cut a long story short, which will probably be a story I do share in more detail throughout the future, but and will come up as well whenever we talk about crypto, I uh, was lucky in some sense because I met Andre and we then decided, yes, we're, let's make this uh, solar power plant idea real. Uh, I have all this uh, money I've made in the crypto space. By that point, you know, my I'd put in about $150,000 US and it was getting close to, uh, well, throughout the year, it would be anywhere from half a million to a million dollars in paper gains there. And, uh, you know, it was just sitting there. Of course, like everyone else, I was greedy, hoping it would keep going up. And I would not have sold it if it wasn't for meeting on three and making the commitment that we're going to start this solar plant together. So thankfully, I say thankfully because luckily we had a kind of a deadline of December of 2017 to put in my proportion of the investment into the solar plant. So I actually took out half a million dollars to put that into 
the Pure Power solar farm in Ukraine that we were building together. So I will, I'll share the story of how we ended up building that and the steps that went to create it. To be fair, Andre did most of the, the heavy lifting and all the work on the ground. And we had a partner there. I was more of the, the financial investor. But if I didn't have that deadline of pulling out that money to put into uh, that project, January 2018 hit. And then crypto just started to collapse. I would have probably watched my money drop down all the way to where I started. I wouldn't have lost it all, but I'd be losing 90% of my gains. Thankfully, I locked in at least half of all the gains I ever made because I had to put it into the solar plant. Now, of course, funnily enough, if I kept all my money in the, the cryptocurrency, holding it to today, it would be worth two or three million dollars instead of you know whatever I sold it at. But that would have uh, required me to hold it all the way through the 2018 crash, losing 80% of its value, and keep holding it 2019, 2020, believing that crypto would eventually take off, which I know myself, I probably would not have done. I would have pulled that capital out and put it into other projects. So I'm very glad and very happy that we did the solar energy plant in Ukraine. Uh, you can see some pictures of that on my blog. It's something I'm very proud of because it's green energy, I use cryptocurrency to produce something that's green energy and it's helping Ukraine as well, uh, you know, growing the local economy. Um, it's providing energy locally as well. So uh, a very fun project and very different from anything I'd done before, you know, as an information marketer, online marketer, jumping into solar energy, bit left field. So great experience and love to talk more about that in the future as well. But want to keep going here. So. Um, after the solar farm was done, I actually did eventually decide to move back to Canada. I did a bit more traveling, went to Europe, Germany, a lot of um, visiting some conferences, um, wrote, wrote a book while I was uh, traveling around uh, Germany and Amsterdam and to the UK, uh, but eventually found myself back in Montreal and decided to finally do what I actually had the intentions of doing, which is invest in property. Uh, I should mention I did actually purchase a property in Ukraine primarily because I was there and property is very affordable. It was a $50,000 apartment. I put some renovations in. Um, it, I wouldn't see that technically as an investment. It was simply because I planned to be there because of the solar farm and it was nice to have my own place. In Montreal, it was more about investing. So I, I decided to take the capital, this, my capital I'd gained from uh, obviously my, my previous businesses, but also from selling my property in Australia. So by this time, I've left Australia, I've been out of the country for about four years. I decided to really truly leave, sold, sold all my assets there, all my properties were sold eventually. It didn't happen all at once, but eventually they were sold. So I, and I had this capital I wanted to put into property. I knew Canada was still booming. Um, I felt Vancouver was very, very pricey. Toronto, very pricey. Montreal, 50% off compared to the rest of the, you know, the big cities. So I was thinking this is the next place to get into property, plus a great great uh, city for buying multi-unit places like duplexes, triplexes. I've never had one of those before, so I wanted to get into that as well. So um, again, to cut a long story short, I ended up buying three properties. Uh, I now have a triplex and uh, a condo in a fiveplex and another uh, unit I'm standing in right now in a duplex, and I hope to buy the one upstairs at some point in the near future when the uh, current owner decides to leave. So um, I, I'm going to uh, save my stories about property as well for the future, but it certainly has been um, uh, so far a mixed experience, uh, horrible on some levels due to unforeseen repairs, surprises that have been needed. Some big money has been sunk in. 
And then, of course, uh, positive side, the gains have been good. The capital growth in Montreal has very much kept on par, trying to catch up to Toronto and Vancouver. It's grown 10 to 20% a year in capital gain as well. So it's kind of offset the cost of reinvesting to do repairs. And I was able to spin out some of those capital gains to refinance to buy, you know, the second and third property. So um, I'm not going to go into all that detail because obviously it's a lot has gone on. But that meant that I had property investments. I had a property in Ukraine. I had a solar farm in Ukraine. Still had my coaching business. Uh, and the last couple of stories I have to kind of wrap up my story. Thank you if you're still here listening to me. I know this is a long story. It's just me talking, just me rambling. Um, that will not be the future. This is going to be very much an interview-based show. But I want to introduce those of you who are new to me so you know a bit more about who I am. Uh, around about the same time as I was in Ukraine starting the solar plant, I also, I also uh, decided to do a little experimenting in the world of angel investing. Now, it wasn't the first time I actually made an investment in someone else's company. Uh, go back in time all the way to 2007 when I was still getting started with my own blog. I actually connected with a friend uh, named Albert Falla in Australia, and he had a blog. He started kind of around the same time as mine about cars called Car Advice. Um, his blog, however, went down a, a different track to mine. I was sort of a lifestyle blogger running my own company. He went down the venture capital route, got investors, got a partner, um, and grew a team. And eventually that company was doing as much as I think about $20 million a year in advertising revenue. And, and they ended up selling to the Nine Network, a uh, big media uh, and TV channel in Australia for $62 million, I think, was the final pr uh, combined price of selling that company. And because I was so close to him and, you know, talking to him about our companies on a kind of monthly basis, there was a few opportunities to invest. And I, I finally grabbed one. I was probably one of the later opportunities should have gotten earlier, but I did drop uh, a fairly hefty chunk of my um, profits from my own business into an investment and in his, which resulted in not a huge gain, three times my money back, a little less than that, maybe two and a half times my money back. But it was my first taste of, you know, angel investing. I didn't really think about it that way. I just happened to have a friend with an opportunity. Fast forward, though, to 2017, I'm like, I got some capital. I want to experiment in angel investing. And that's actually when I discovered uh, Jason Kalkanis and his podcast this week in startups. It's a long running podcast. I knew about Jason prior to that, though, because back when I was uh, early days blogging, he was the guy who first sold a blog network. So he's the guy who started blogs like Engadget, um, a bunch of other well-known blogs that were bought by AOL for 20-something million dollars, if I remember, because I remember the news, because um, I was you know, sort of in the middle of my first uh, two or three years of blogging. It was an exciting time. Blogging was huge. And then I see this news, this, this young guy named Jason uh, from New York sells this collections of, of blogs. It was called Weblogs, Inc., to AOL for some 20 plus million dollars. So that was the first time I heard about him, but I kind of, you know, didn't really follow him back then. Now with his podcast, which he's been running for a long time, I think he started a similar time to myself, kind of like 2005 with his podcast. Um, I never really paid attention to it, but I got into angel investing. I read his book, which was a, a big factor in convincing me to get into it. And he also has an angel investing syndicate. Um, so that's a place where you can basically join a group of people who all put in a small amount of money together to invest in a startup led by a lead. In this case, Jason is the lead. He runs the syndicate. He finds the investment opportunities, the startups that you can invest in. 
Um, he then presents that to the syndicate and you can invest, you know, anywhere from 2000, 10,000, 20,000, you know, that's kind of like the typical ballpark range. But if you have a few hundred people doing this, there's a lot of money going into these startups with Jason being the, you know, the lead and representing the syndicate. So I learned about that through his book. I learned more about Jason and his story being one of the early investors in Uber and calm and, you know, amazing. And more importantly, learning about the, the potential of uh, the rare, very rare outcome of getting uh, some kind of a, a unicorn, as they're called nowadays, uh, billion dollar startup plus. If you get into these companies, as you probably, you know, heard about some uh, success stories over the last, even as I record this, there's been so many, you know, DoorDash, Airbnb, Coinbase, so many companies float. And if you're one of the people who were there early, you're getting anywhere from 100 to even two, 3,000 multiple time your money, like in times your money. Like for example, with Jason getting into Uber, I think he put in 25 grand and it returned somewhere between three to 4,000 times that. Um, that's rare, it's, it's a case of being in the right place at the right time and, and making the investment. Uh, I learned a lot from Jason. I'm not gonna talk too much more about angel investing because it it's a topic in itself. I will say, through Angel, uh, through Jason Syndicate, through Angel List, another place where you can find syndicated deals to invest in startups, um, through my own network as well. I've, I'm now over 25 angel investments and still doing more. So if, if you are interested in in potentially you know having myself as an angel investor or advisor, love to hear from you. Um, I'm going to be expanding that side of what I do because I'm I'm loving it. I think it's a lot of fun. I love being part of early startups and even just hearing about how they're going and what they're focused on. So I'm definitely putting some more energy into that. It's a big part of my capital growth journey for the future uh, and will be a part of this podcast for sure. In fact, the domain name for this podcast is my name, yarrow.vc. So I'm very much connecting it, yarrow.vestedcapital, uh, the Vested Capital podcast. So um, if you want to see the deals I've done so far, you can head to my blog, yarrow.blog, and I've got them listed there. I will definitely migrate them over to yarrow.vc at some point, but for now, yarrow.blog, you can see some of the early investments I've made in some companies. Um, and then to kind of wrap up this story, to give you the thing I'm focused on right now, besides this podcast and my, my blog and so on, my main company, my own startup, is called inboxdone.com. Uh, which I've been running for about uh, for four four years full time now I'd say with my co-founder Claire. So this is a, a business that I I do love to promote. You'll see me talking about it on Twitter. We're doing a lot of marketing, you know, running ads and so on, writing content. Uh, Inbox Done is a service that basically takes over doing your email and your customer service. So if you're drowning in email personally, your inbox is full. We can take over answering, replying, managing eighty to ninety percent of your emails. Uh, we can also take over, you know, your customer service, your help desk tickets. If you're running some kind of business where you get a lot of queries, we, our team is, uh, you know, us, uh, based college educated English as the first language, great communicators, you know, we're not outsourcing overseas. So it is, uh, what we focus on in particular is written communication. So we're very much specialized in that. Um, this business has been a lot of fun to grow. It's very similar to my essay editing company. The connections here are, are always fun to talk about. You go back in time, I was running this company early 2000s where I connected uh, university students with people who were often university professors, postgraduates, great at academic writing, to provide essay editing feedback and thesis editing and feedback. Now we're connecting 
uh, people who have too much email with people who can step in as email specialists and help clear their inbox every single day. Uh, so this is very much my startup. We're, we're on track. We're, we're at um, about half a million dollars run rate as I record this annually. Looking forward to getting that to seven figures, hopefully within the next 12 months or so. And I see myself certainly focusing on this company for a good while. And you'll, you'll definitely hear me mention it many times. And if you're listening to this and you need help with your email or your customer support, get in touch or head to inboxdone.com. Um, I'm the CMO, Chief of Marketing. Claire is basically the CEO running our operations. We have a team of about 25. And uh, yeah, great company. And we, we're really enjoying that. So that's my main my main kind of cash flow business right now. Uh, I still have my coaching business as well. And then I have all these investments running at the same time, solar company, property, angel investments. I still have some cryptocurrency now during this new boom, stock investments. So I got a lot of invested capital out there, leveraging my past to grow my future. Okay, so uh, I'm gonna call it the end of this podcast. Uh, as I said, this is episode zero of the rebrand, the renew, the renew, the new vested capital podcast. We're gonna do some interviews coming up. I'm starting to record them actually uh, next few weeks. Got some great new guests lined up. Really want to reach people who are doing amazing things with their startup, maybe with investing, uh, interesting ways to grow their capital, interesting ways to generate cash flow. We're gonna talk about it. I hope you stick with it. That's it. Please subscribe, share with your friends. Can't wait to talk to you more in the future on this podcast. My name is Yarrow. I will talk to you very, very soon. Bye-bye.